Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the program. Tonight, my very special guest is Jerry LaGuardia Leonard. Jerry, are you with me? Yes, I am. Hi, Michael. Hello. And thank you you so much. Yes, yes. Let's begin this journey, okay? Okay. All right. You know, the whole thing is around poetry. So what is poetry? Well, poetry has been defined by, by so many people and recorded as such, but... I, I, to me, poetry is a record-keeping history, and the ancients in India, China, and Persia had always known the importance of poetry as a legacy of their culture and an appreciation of the beauty that could be written in their verses. Mm. Myself, I think poetry is in our DNA. It's almost in our sails because we want to communicate. We insist upon communicating. Yes. Yes, I agree. And in this way, well, you know, Mary Oliver writes that poetry is fluid and alive. She even goes so far to say that it's a a river and that it lives in the sails. Oh, wow. Very nice. Well, then, as you think about poetry in terms of what it is, why do you think it's important? And you've already kind of defined it in terms of its importance, but what are some other reasons why poetry is important? Well, as I I think the most important aspect of poetry, and I, I have to repeat it, is that it is, it is a record-keeping for us. It's a way to express... Uh, emotions so we can go back and look at poetry from even a hundred years ago and find that we're not alone in the world that there were people that still feel the way that we do the emotions that we were born with that's that's one thing yes when you think about your work what are some of the themes of your work well, I would have to say the wonderment. I, there, there's, I find the world so beautiful, and I'm always in wonder at, uh, at pe- I would say nature, in nature, mm-hmm. certainly, mm-hmm. and the environment, uh Questioning our destiny, our self-fulfillment, uh, our spiritual quest, I, and I re- so I I believe that uh, it my poetry alludes to it in in well, very small ways. Well, Pardon? please share a poem for us. Certainly, well, I think the first poem since it's uh, Women's History Month is um, 
a poem that I wrote uh, about um, sometimes invisible young women, and this is about a young girl. There's so much uh, trouble and uh, strife with our runaway girls. This one is called uh, Girl in the Night. And I visualized it in San Francisco uh, one night when I was sitting at an outdoor cafe and there was a young girl that should not have been out at 2 in the morning. She looked to be about 14. She waits at the outdoor cafe. Her porcelain face cast in surreal colors from the strip joints blinking neon lights, anxiously inhaling a cigarette with red pouting lips, then exhaling gossamer smoke whirling into a translucent halo, falling slowly onto disheveled and dyed black hair, a feeble effort to conceal her identity. She's clearly no longer shocked from the deliberate showcasing of porn in windows or girls posing seductively at curbside on constant alert for prospects in slowing cars, filled with guys her stepfather refers to as freaks, he being the worst freak of all. Later, unnoticed, she slips into the dank, abandoned basement, still homeless and afraid in a city in repose, but clamoring to corrupt the likes of her. So, there wow. you have some of our young that was homeless, and we have plenty of them. That was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. The imagery was just fantastic. You're an incredible writer, I, I'd Jerry. I'd like to use... Incredible writer. I'm sorry. I, I like... I write with a lot of imagery yes. versus uh, metaphor. Pretty yes. straightforward and pragmatic. Yes. Very nice. Now, how does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? Well, uh, definitely the 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 idea, but the, but the idea has emotions that form around it. It surrounds it, uh, and I'm finding that I I have to really feel something emotionally to be able to write about it the way I want to. So yes. I might see a newscast of, uh, uh, you know, we've had shootings in Denver, and that prompts uh, this poem as if I have no way to, um, no way to release um, my anxiety and my uh, inability to help people out other than to write a poem. Yes, I understand. Now, do you think that someone could be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? Uh, um, well, I've I've read poetry by some pretty, and it's it's good poetry by some pretty bland people, mm-hmm. and and it, it's it's not they tell stories. I, I love I love storytelling. Yes. Uh, I I couldn't speak for other people. I I mm-hmm. don't think I could. But they must. 
we're born with emotions. Yes, we are. We, we have agree. feelings and emotions. Yeah. So I think it would probably be impossible for a poet not to write and feel something as they're writing. To, I think now, what happens we, is you, you get into the skin. You get into the skin mm-hmm. of the story. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Nicely stated. Now, what was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? Well, <laughs> we we had to memorize part of Pose the Raven and stand okay. up and recite it. <laughs> that was a pretty powerful experience. Afterwards, the teacher asked us all to write a poem. Of course, this was an English class. Well, I thought poetry was all, all I thought all poetry was about death. So mm. I wrote a poem about death, and I could just really feel it. And I was, you know, I was in junior high. So um, I don't know. Ask me that question again because I'd like to go further with it. Well, as you think about being Unless you think I've answered it. No, no, no. You've answered it perfectly. But as you think about being in junior high, writing that poem, was it cathartic? Did it release you in some way or shape or form? Well, it did, but I was a, a wee bit embarrassed because um, the other the other kids were writing about uh, bright things, like okay, uh, children's stuff, and I mm-hmm. I always I was very grown up at thirteen. Okay. I um, I just grew up very. Uh, Quickly, and I think because I had a lot of responsibility. Okay. You know, my mother worked, and we had been babysitting since we were very young, my brothers and sisters, and um, and I'm I'm so grateful to her in so yes, many ways. Yes, I understand. Ways. So well, now, now, I, now I'm a kid. Pardon? <laughs> share another poem for us. Share another poem. Okay, thank you. I'd I'd like to share one from my experience of uh, teaching women uh, in jail. And um, the reason is uh, the reason for talking about this during Women's History Month is because. When women have committed crimes, when anyone commits a crime, the general consensus of society is we want them put away. We want them put in jail. We don't, we don't want to see it or deal with it. And then the women become voiceless and invisible, and we, we don't want to see them. We want them invisible. So the title of this poem is Finding a New Path. Shackled in disgrace, she waits for the inhospitable iron door to grind open, its harsh clank finalizing her loss of freedom. The room's air is thick with the dank smell of self-prosecution. Women's loud chatter is deafening with discord, reverberating into her boxy barred cell amplifying her sorrow into a crescendo of regret. Swearing again tearfully when she's released, there will be no more drug friends, no lousy dealers, no hanging out on the streets, 
she'll stay straight, go to church, get a job, win her kids back. She always makes promises, confused and uncertain about how to keep them. Still, she always promises. Wow. So that's just sort of a tip of the iceberg of my experience of teaching in jails for many, many years. And it was a fabulous experience. Well, what did you learn about yourself? Well, uh, I learned how strong I was. Okay. And and we were were not, uh, we instructors were not there in a punitive way. All right. We we were there to be supportive. So I also learned about uh, really caring and I had yearned uh, throughout my life experiences and the jobs that I had had uh, that none of it was as fulfilling and that I had been searching for that. Yes. And I was very fortunate in uh, being able to do that work for a, a portion of my life. I, wow. I just feel so blessed. And well, let's take a brief. People would say, take... "How can you teach there?" But yes, well, how could it. you teach there? What did you say? What did you tell them? Well, the women wanted the same things that we women on the outside wanted. Right. They wanted the home, the white pick fence, uh, the children, the family, and they. They came from a background, oftentimes, that did not guide them on the right path. Yes. And when the repeats, so we have so such few programs in jails that they, what else would could you do? You go out, you have, uh, you're given car fare money, or maybe someone picks you up, one of your old buddies, and then the cycle starts all over again. So it, 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 it's just quite fascinating, and it's it's not like uh, uh, there was a woman who had written a book uh, long ago, and I read it, and she uh, she talked down about the women that were incarcerated. All right. And I thought it was so pitiful, even though How she had murdered poems? someone. Anyway, go ahead. How many poems do you think that you had an opportunity to write when you worked with the women? Did you write a lot of poetry? I didn't. I didn't know because my whole, my entire focus was on uh, uh, the, the program, the, what I was teaching. Okay. And I was asked to do a. Uh, uh, we had a, a anger management course. It was called. And it was about a, a week of anger management. Mm-hmm. And I decided that we needed a pro- additional program of uh, domestic violence. And so I uh, was given permission to go ahead and draw up the material and uh, get it set up, and I did. And so I taught domestic violence also. 
to men oh, wow. and women. Yeah. Wow. That was, uh, and that was another incredible experience. Oh, I'm sure it was. Let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. Great. Thank you. You know, I'm, I belong to this Denver Poetry Society, and we're given prompts and asked to write about it right away, and they give us, they think they're so generous with three or four minutes to write it. And these people just clip through it, and they come up with some really good poems. And for me, it's difficult for me to do that. I, I'm a reviser. I, I will go back and revise poetry over and over again. I'll let it sit. I walk away from it. Uh, sometimes I've o- I've over revised. I- I'm learning because I haven't been doing this that long. Um, How long have you been doing it? Well, I'd say probably about four years. Okay. After my my granddaughter put me on. She set up a. She said, "Grandma, I'm going to set you up a Facebook page." And I just let it sit there for about four years. <laughs> and then I, I I had a poem come to me, uh, a, a very uh, sweet poem that I didn't set out, but I, I just love it. And the words just came and it flowed, and I popped it on Facebook. And I had people, some groups come in and say, we'd we'd like to invite you to our poetry group. And I didn't know what they were talking about. I was so flattered. Yes. I was so naive, and that's how I, I I got started. Well, do you have that poem? I don't. I don't have it out. Um, mm-hmm. 
but um, well, please I, share my first us. love, my first love for poetry was haiku. Okay. My very first love. Why was that? Why haiku? Why haiku? Well, I just it it just popped somehow um, for me. And maybe I could only handle three verses at the time. But I, I like the idea of playing around with uh, syllables mm-hmm. and knowing it was 575. And there were rules to it. Uh, it was just fun. You know, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours, and what makes them special or great in your eyes? Well, uh, I, I, of course, Emily Dickinson, because when that was the first poet, and Robert Frost. And I was just blown away when I read Robert Frost's last lines of miles to go before I sleep, miles to go before I sleep. And... Uh, I liked, I, I loved the, the language. I'd, I'd grown up with uh, my mother teaching me songs, and uh, I, I was singing and dancing probably by the age of three. Oh, wow, uh, Jerry. Well, just for company that would come over, I wasn't <laughs> up on any stage, but I thought I was. Mm-hmm. You know, I had these these dreams and uh, oh, I just pose and do my little two-step, and I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. And and I I just get a stick and pretend it was a cane. And I had an aunt that was very supportive and teach me all these steps. And you know, I had a lot of fun with that. Sounds like. But I would say, you know, I I love as as I. As I went on, and I'm I'm reading Leaves of Grass again by Walt yes. Whitman, so which is mm-hmm. yeah, of course, uh, uh, there are wonderful parts of it. But on the other hand, I like some of the modern um, poets of today. I lo- I like Mary uh, Oliver because I was a huge gardener uh, with a, you know three quarters of an acre of flowers and plants and oh, trees. Wow. That's a lot. And uh, so she she has influenced me a great deal. But I like Charles Bukowski also, um, even though he's just awful sometimes mm-hmm. with his themes. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, one of my new uh, influences uh, is David White, who is a Tell philosopher and a poet. Tell me about David White. Tell me about him. Well, he's just, he's such a beautiful um, philosopher. And he writes with that philosophical point of view. Um, th- I think themes that are essential, and he even has a, a book called Essentials, um, and he talks about walking into the light. Uh, always he uses walk into the light. And he wa- also writes about um, an invitation. 
and he's talking about follow your path. When when something comes up, you're you're being invited. Go to it. Follow the road. Take the curves, even though you can't see what's around the corner. And that's one of the reasons I like him. And I've even taken some seminar courses from him. Oh, wow. Wow. Right. Now, you are, based on everything that I know, a very creative person. Yes, I am. What does being I creative am. mean I, to you? I mean, I would not. I just can't deny that. What does it mean to you to be creative? Well, you know, I used to, uh, you'd be surprised how creative the people incarcerated are. And and they uh, they seemed to need to be able to do that, whether it was writing or uh, they would use gum wrappers and make me little photo frames. <clears throat> and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and if the... Yes. If the women were would get a hold of some yarn, they would knit something, and um, and it, I, I think that I used to tell them, you know, being creative is as close to God as as you can be, because of, he was a creator. Yes. I mean, we think of of him as a creator, and they they love that. It encouraged I'm sure. them. Anything that was positive. Now, you know, what creative medium would you love to pursue that you've yet to pursue? What well, like I like I like making books, and there's a wonderful bookmaking company in San Francisco. I, I have made books, uh, little small ones. I've I've made uh, origami books uh, with Yoshi paper and you open them up and it it just flows out like a fan I'd like to do more of that there's a wonderful little um, origami book that will hold oh I think about six poems also and then it's folded and uh, that's, that's something I'd like to get into a little bit more and of course uh, I did uh, the accordion book. Yes, because tell I me more about felt, the accordion book. Well, I, you know, I felt always that poetry could be presented um, in a different way, in a different artful way, besides just in a book. And uh, I started writing the poetry, and then I had... Um, um, a, a person, Audley Hitchens is his name, come in, and he did this beautiful graphic work that mm-hmm. my poetry is encased in and helped me along and encouraged me. And uh, he said to me, have you ever thought of an accordion book? We just talked about bookmaking all the time and and the stitching of it. And I said, yes, I, I know about accordion books because I used to make them as a kid and and so um, I, we decided and I decided to pull it together, and it's totally self-published uh, from a printer. The hardest part was finding a printer 
and I found finally a, a real genius of a guy who was right in my own family, and he'd been printing since uh, uh, graduating from high school. So he did the printing on the accordion book. Oh, wow. Now, if a person would like to find more about the accordion book, how could they find it? How can we find it? Well, I haven't had it on the market, and I was limited in the amount. They're limited editions, uh, and they're numbered. They're an art piece, a collector's piece, and I've always collected books, uh, the most unique I can find. And I have... I have a little accordion book from a woman, but it's only two or three uh, folds and um, that she had pulled together. But they could contact me through my email. All right. Share another Which poem. I wouldn't Share mind. Another it, you know. Share another Yes, poem. let's do. Well, I don't want to leave out... Um, I'd like to, to do a... This is prose. I I believe it's more prose than anything. It's called The Subjugation of a Farm. And it's about my grandmother. I really didn't have, uh, I only had one grandmother and I didn't see her much. So I don't know what it's really like to, uh, to have a grandmother, but I just loved her. The old neglected farm languishes, distraught by overgrown weeds. I kneel to, excuse me, I kneel to inhale the sweaty defeats and triumphs seeping from the dank hummus, reminding me of bygone green fields. I see the revered tattered barn shading my grandmother's silhouette, her silver braid a shiny halo. As she bends, bunching onions, singing, I'm a lonely little onion in a petunia patch. Well, white hens cluck along in discord and gaily flap their red combs, unaware of the impending high-rise condos and consequent contraction of space. Someday over wine, I expect I'll ruefully reminisce this pastoral era and how inevitable change contorts lives. So she had the farm, and of course, she had no running water, no no toilet, a uh, well water, and then it was sold because condos were going up. So I went back to visit, and uh, I, I remember being a gardener, picking up the dirt and running it through my hands uh, as they were building the uh, the condos. Condos. Share another poem. Oh. I want to hear another poem. All right. I'd like to read War Games, and this is, uh, uh, I also taught some gender culturation to men, because they'd certainly have had their share of it also, not, not only women. It's called War Games. Infused with patriotism, he enthusiastically enlisted exuberant in faith and vivid recollection, recollections of his boyhood heroically toting a toy rifle detailed in a backyard battlefield, playing with hubris bravado, a game that could never prepare him for the stark brutality of this war, where chilling fear marches along every step and the overwhelming sounds of war and death alternate with visions of his loved ones, 
the useless toll of suffering and the loss of too many lives, exacting fresh perspectives as to the relevance and morality about the horrific game of war. So oftentimes um, I have a, a wonderful poem that's very short that goes along with this men and gun relationship. May I read it? Yes, of course you can. Okay, and this is by Judson Jerome. Because the warden, it's called deer hunt. Because the warden is a cousin, my mountain friends hunt in summer when the deer cherish each rattler-ridden spring. And I have waited hours by a pool in fear that manhood would require I shoot or that the steady drip of the hill would dull my ear to a snake whispering near the log I sat upon and listen to the yelping cheer of dogs and men resounding ridge to ridge. I flinched at every lonely rifle crack, my knuckles whitening where I gripped the edge of age and clung like retching, sinking back, then gripping once again the monstrous gun since I, to be a man, had taken one. You know, your voice is is very crisp, very distinctive. What do you think is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? Uh, I think my speaking voice is much better. I love telling stories. Well, I love telling stories, and um, and I I like to. Um, they're they're also a chronicle. I think women are storytellers. We yes. we are we are the storytellers of the world. We we are the ones that will pass these stories down to our generations, and I hope that. My, my grandchildren will pick up some of this, uh, and, and they are on, on the, the they do all their communication with this uh, uh, the gadgets instead of using their voice. Yes, I, I have uh, th- three grandchildren in California who are so typical Irish. They are these storytellers, and they're hilarious, and they're good at it. And it comes so naturally to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm depending on these grandchildren to pass these stories down. I just think it's important, and for many reasons. You know, when you many think reasons. about a poem, what do you think are some of the ingredients that go into making a good poem? Well... I don't I don't think I'd have trouble answering that. I think you have to have a lot of empathy. Okay. And heart. And that's such a broad word to even use. Yes. I think you have to I have I myself have to have it totally quiet and I get into character. I, I really think you need to get into character in order to write a poem. 
Well, flesh that out for me. What do you mean get into character? Well, if I'm writing about the women, the girl on the street, the girl in the night, I become her. I remember being a teenager. I never wanted to run away from home. Um, But I can feel what she feels. That's the empathy part. Yes. And also be fearful for her. That's the nourishing part. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Well, gosh. You want to answer after a break? I have have a lot of different hats. I'm I'm so excited about life. Uh, Mm. I, I have acted in plays, done radio commercials. I love all of the arts, collected paintings, um, nourished people, what, whatever, whatever the desires have been. I have tried and been lucky enough to know how to uh, fill those. And actually, it, it's not me. I, I tell you, I've had. There is has been a path drawn out for me, and all of a sudden, uh, when I take this journey, I I end up there. I, I'm not sure how it happens, but maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones. Wow, I like that. I, I've been very fortunate. Yeah, I've I've been blessed. Please read another. Read another poem. Read another poem. Well, this is one that's sort of in process, really. It's it's a little bit longer than I'd want, and I, I'm, I'm very excited to to take a look at it, and I think it's on course and do some revising, but it's called a renewal. And this is for uh, the new generation of women. It's much different than the way I was raised and uh, how I walk through the world. Uh, in all of my uh, uh, jobs, uh, even in my marriage. Uh, Every way I've been cultured, the new young women coming up uh, are going to be doing something different. I'm very excited for them, and it's called a renewal. Overdue, but now on the go, with a well-charted course we're prepared to now sail. A tweak of the rudder is what we're about, Expanding horizons is the name of the game, with indifference a thing of the past. It's now and not later and not at half mass, and as proud as the ocean, we're steadfast. Purged of all anger and documented in bow, not to be denied any longer, and fully up to the task. All doors must be opened, make good of this chance. Harnessed in fairness, enduring liberty to the last. Acquiescence and compliance is now firmly behind. No longer perfume roses were long off the start. No longer just poses as in pop magazines, inert and just limpid with a dumb-looking stare, but rather more purposed and at the crossroads, advocating more change and repair. Fortified with good reason and with no less a keen ear, and add to the mix is a determined new dare. 
In step with the certainty our strength fills the air, but still to be attained in the accordance of the just through and throughout our women's affairs. With agreeable balance in a system that's fair, as yet we do strive to dissuade the naysayers. Still buoyed and afloat with a simplistic desire, the life of the old status quo is now understood, and the reason why is that we women insist we need more than a bow. So, it, you know, it's a little rough. I know, I know it is. It was one of my first poems. But all the ideas are there. And it's, it's really, I wanted to read it just because it's a salute to, to what's coming uh, for women. And, you know, we've been through this before. Women yes. have been through this before. Well, we get out and we protest and, and on and on. But I, I, there's been, I've been lucky enough to see a lot, a lot of changes. Well, what do you think is the role of a poet in modern-day society? Well, um, you know, immediately it came up for me, uh, I think freedom, uh, that women can be, they can represent uh, all all the different ways that women can be. All right. Um, number one, and that, and that's so important that they can fulfill their dreams, that they can uh, make a life uh, in whatever way that they choose, without a, a ton of stipulations as to how they should be. What is going to be acceptable? So, as a as a as a poet, I see women writing these kinds of poet poems, just jumping out there with these uh, gutsy phrase, phrases, you know, in your face. Yeah. Uh, this is me, and this is how I'm going to be. And I no so longer have to apologize. So freedom is extremely important. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. You bet. Again, I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Jerry LaGuardia Leonard. Jerry, all poets, yes. <laughs> all poets have several words that come up over and over and over again in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use in your poetry? 
Well, I I like uh, words that are uh, almost Im- immediately bring up uh, an image, and and behind that image, oftentimes um, would be um, a, a picture. You, you know, you you get that you get an image right away. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, I'd rather write about uh, hope, for example, without using the word hope. Uh, I want to, I I haven't written a love poem, Um, but um, I don't know why the love poems don't come. So I don't use love in my poems. Right. I, I don't really have a favorite. I don't have favorite words. Okay. Uh, that have been used over and over again. I, I would say. I, I hope I can. Uh, that the poetry comes across, um, leaving them with some sort of a, a feeling or a, emotion. Something that well, maybe actually- makes them feel a little better. Well, that was or, actually my next or question. Or ponder. Yes, that was my next question. What do you hope that people get when they encounter your work? And I think you answered that. Yeah, I think of, of just, oh, I think the feeling that, oh, yes, I, I have felt that myself. Oh, yes, mm. that's that's so, that's me. Mm. I'd, I'd Share like another to just, point. Okay, I, I have a couple of just two short. Of course, okay. they're short haikus, if you don't mind. No, please. Um, haiku. Wings flutter with grace beneath moon's amber spotlight. Butterfly ballet. So I had read an article. I, I love uh, uh, the environment gardening, that sort of thing. And I had read an article about these uh, butterflies that, um, monarchs, that they sighted uh, migrating at night and people weren't aware of it. I thought it was pretty fascinating to even think about it. The second one, haiku. Her dreams flew on clouds. Enraptured by the vision, she became a bird. And that's really, I think, more of a Tonka, where because it it does have this person in it, and uh, I I do have another poem I'd like to read called the uh, yes. the hunt. Please, please. And uh, this was from gardening in my yard, and uh, we got a lot of deer we that would come in, and of course. They weren't the best friends for me because they would eat all of my blossoms and eat my plants just to the bare ground. So uh, I, I would I, I chased a couple out of the yard, and my granddaughter, who loves animals, said, "Well, you know, Grandma, they have to eat too." So <laughs> nothing like from the babe's mouth. Anyway, yes, but- this is called the hunt. Grazing in the pine-scented clearing, the ten-point stag is startled by invading whispers of crackling leaves, 
whiffs humans of human sweat and sulfur, prompting his snorts and stomps to alert the lazing herd, who skillfully bolts, stretching sinewy brown tendons over lichen rocks, traversing forest corridors, taking refuge in their musky lair, outwitting the hunter's trappings of modern tech gear and stealthy tree stands, coveting the prized antlers as a boastful trophy in support of the illusory myth that man's dominant instincts reign, validated by his grip and click of the rifle now traditionally referred to as sport. So I I tried to make friends with the deer as much as I could, but uh, and there are people who are against uh, killing deer, but yet the hunt goes on. Yes, it does. It does. Share one more. I, I, okay, uh, this one is called uh, uh, War Games. Um, Okay. Infused with patriotism, he enthusiastically enlisted, exuberant in faith and vivid recollections of his boyhood, heroically toting a toy rifle detailed in a backyard battlefield, playing with hubris bravado, a game that could never prepare him for the stark brutality of this war. Well, cheering... Chilling fear marches along every step, and the overwhelming sounds of war and death alternate with visions of his loved ones. The useless toil of suffering and the loss of too many lives, exacting fresh perspectives as to the relevance and morality about the horrific game of war. So often our 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 young our young boys who played, you know, guys. Uh, naturally they seem to if if you put a doll out and you put a gun out would you say it was inborn or innate for them to reach for that gun gun. and know how to play with it and want to play so they would play war but they really are not prepared for the as I say the the horrific um, game of war and and wow. I, I call it a game because you you have uh, there are reasons for war, but I don't know if there really are any really good reasons for war. We haven't figured out how to live peacefully in this world. That's so true. I agree. Yeah. You know, Poe is right for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write, Jerry? Well, I I think silence is not an option. And and the the I had for many years said, as many people do, I should write a book. And finally, I stopped and said, uh, I'm I'm a writer. In one way or another, and. I dream poetry, full poems, 
and I wake up and I can't recall them, unfortunately. Not all of them, but the idea is there. Um, Did you state that you dream full poems? Full poems. I will have in my dreams and then wake up. And I always, a poem always comes to me when I get in bed and I'm trying to get to sleep. Always, every single night. I I write every night. And sometimes it's a couple of poems. But in the morning, they seem to, you know, you you get up and you make coffee and and start your day and someone calls for lunch or whatever. And uh, one of the the issues that I have around uh, poetry is that I'm a social person. And yes. uh, so if I'm if I'm called to to go with friends and meet for lunch or or meet with my brother sister whatever, um, naturally I'd rather do that than stay home and be alone. I, I can spend mm. hours and hours alone. I'm fine with that. But um, but I the social life has over uh, seeded the the uh, poetry writing. I can understand. To some degree. I I have to say that. But, you know, um, I forgive myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) for that. I truly do. Which is an important thing to do to be able to forgive yourself. I agree. You need to be able to do that, to be able to move forward in your life. You've got to forgive yourself. Absolutely. You've got to. You've got to. We've got time for one more poem, Jerry. We've got time for one more poem. Oh, good. Good. Uh, good, because right. uh, as I said, I, I have concern about the environment and what's going on uh, in in all aspects of our our universe. Yes. This is called uh, Illusional Spectators. The binocular gawkers, excuse me, the light's getting very poor in here. Let me turn on. My light. I'm so sorry. And this, this oh, no. while I'm at no it, I want to want to say it's it's about the whales. The binocular gawkers sway in boats, scrutinizing nimble ripples, anticipating nature's serendipity, fast to spot white geyser spurts from the gigantic slick head before he splits open the blue ocean door, heaving his still weight against gravity, to preen inexplicable acrobats, slamming a tsunami finale, each wave a scribe begging for restoration, before becoming another sinking ship downward into the state of limbo, void of legendary sea deities, downward mingling with the debris, void of man's regrets or remedies, to wonder if his woeful songs will ever reach the oblivious conscience of the pleasure seekers ashore. So we know that our ocean bottom is a mess. Yes, it is. We've been dumping in it for many, many years, and we need to pay attention and do something. I agree. I and agree. and we, we are. Like, I mean, in all defense, we are, but we still have uh, muddied the waters and, and dirtied our, our universe. Yes. 
I agree and, again, 100%. I, I guess it's just all for convenience and profit. Yes. My final question to you tonight, and I really don't want this program to end. I'm enjoying you so much. What's well, thank next you, for you, really. creative? And what is your question? I'm sorry. What's next for you creatively? What do you go, where do you go from here? Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I'd, li- I'd like to do a, a book. I, I have not done a book because I didn't have enough poems. Mm-hmm. So I, I need to get clipping. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm... <laughs> I, I don't I, I don't know you know I've I've taken pottery I've uh, I I taught myself how to sew and I did uh, I've had a ribbon studio um, what so is a I ribbon created, studio uh, ribbon flowers pardon what is a ribbon studio I've never heard of that well I I taught how to make ribbon flowers it became very popular and ribbon purses and ribbon pillows and ribbon cloths and uh, you know I, I i don't do ordinary things yes so um I, i've been able to do so much i would have done glass blowing but i was a little afraid of being burned so <laughs> you know after being well. burned in life a few ways here and there i, I didn't need the real fire to do it too <laughs> well i think as we close that you are an extraordinary person, an extraordinary person, and that your poetry is so beautiful, so real. Well, it's very nice of you to say that. Truly, I'm I'm so appreciative, and it's been a thrill to be on your program. Well, thank you. It's been a thrill to be on I I mean that, but I'm I'm a handful. (laughs) I know that I I can tell. I, I can tell. On, on that <laughs> note, I hope every woman is a handful and and doesn't apologize for it. You know, no, life never apologize. Take, get all the vigor out of it you can without hurting someone else. That's kind of a good motto. <laughs> well, I want to say to everyone who's listening, this has been a pleasurable evening, and Thank you. I want I've everyone out to take care and be safe. Be safe. Good night, everyone. You bet. Good night, Jerry. Good night, and thank you again, Michael. Oh, yes, no problem. You have just listened to the Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio Podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.